Good morning. Came on too early, I guess. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue in our series in Ephesians. Uh, this series is called the, the New You. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and start turning there to Ephesians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 3 today. Uh, many of you know, some of you know, that I'm approaching 40, right? Not there yet. Uh, so I'm on the younger part of middle-aged still. Um, but I'm noticing some things physically. Uh, you know, I'm noticing that it's harder to stay in shape. It is. And uh, used to, I could just exercise and be active and eat whatever I wanted to, right? Those days are gone. Um, so now I have to um, look at this balance between diet and exercise. And, and so I started uh, looking at these uh, exercise routines for your midsection, for your abs, right? And there's tons of those. And I found one called instant abs. And what does instant abs mean, right? So I looked at it. I said, it's too, too good to be true. <laughs> too, instant abs. I think that's a tassel workout. It. <laughs> All right, let's move past that. Thank you. Um, but no, uh, spiritually speaking, we need a balance too. We need balance uh, between, between the gospel and sanctification. And, and what sanctification is, is becoming more Christ-like. As we grow older, as we mature, um, as the days go by, we become to look more like Christ, right? So the purpose that God has for us is not, to, not just to receive grace, not just salvation, but to extend grace and extend love. God wants to change us on the inside so that he can use us. Um, Ephesians is probably my favorite book of the whole Bible. I, I absolutely love it. It's a, it's a treasure. And when I was a kid, I had this treasure chest. I called it a treasure chest. It was really just a, a Victorian style, you know, huge, huge chest. You know what I'm talking about. If the lid fell on your fingers, it would crush them all type of thing. But in that chest, I kept my most valuable possessions, which just happened to be sports stuff, sports memorabilia. You know, I had a Bob Feller 1953 uh, rookie card that was in color, which was a really big deal back in the 50s. I had a Scottie Pippen rookie card that it had his name spelt wrong on the back, so it was worth more. Um, had some autographed baseballs and things like that, but I kept them all in this chest. And Ephesians is like that for the believer, for the Christian. Uh, it has the most valuable information and truths in there for us. Why? Uh, well, it, it tells us, who we are if you're a believer. It tells you who you are. Um, it's got our DNA in it. Uh, today is my daughter Callie's birthday. She's seven years old today. And um, uh, last year for Christmas, my father got Callie this, this uh, lineage that showed how her ancestry traces back to Pocahontas through my mom's side. And uh, she didn't appreciate that too much, you know. <laughs> she said, where's the toys? Um, but one day, right, she, that will mean something to her, and it will just blow her mind. Um, Ephesians is like that for us as Christians. When we read through that, it needs to blow our minds, because that's where we find our DNA. That's where we find our heritage. Uh, we find out that 
We are in a new family if you're a Christian. We've been adopted by God into a new family, into this family called In Christ. We are actually in Christ. Um, I want to share with you three truths over the course of this morning. And the first truth is this. The new you is more than the old you. If you're a believer, the new you is more than the old you. Based on what we've looked at so far in our series, right, we've looked at some, some things that just should stand out to us. Uh, Ephesians tells us that we've been taken from death into life, um, that we have power inside of us, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, right? Um, it tells us that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Ephesians also tells us that we have this inheritance to look forward to. And we've been adopted into God's family. We have actually been included into God's family. The thing is, Paul knew this. Paul knew that the new you is more than the old you. And he wanted Christians to know it as well. He wanted them to know it so bad. Why? So they would live like they were more. He wanted them to know it. So that they could live it in their new life. And, and what do you do when you want somebody to, to know something really bad, right? You tell them. You tell them and, and then you, you pray about it. You say it and you pray it. Well, Paul does both at the same time this morning. Uh, in the middle of Ephesians, there's only six chapters. We're in the middle. Right in the middle, Paul calls a timeout. And he prays, he offers a prayer to the Ephesian Christians. And so we're going to look at that prayer this morning. Um, but before we do, let's, let's uh, join in a prayer of our own before we get into God's Word, okay? Will you join me in prayer? Father, this morning uh, we just come to you. Uh, we lift you up, we worship you. Father, be with us this morning as we look into your Word. Just speak into our hearts, help us to see you more clearly. Christ's name. Amen. So, first off, this is a short prayer. We're going to walk through it slowly together. But first off, the thing we're going to notice is how Paul prayed. Uh, before he gets into his petitions and his requests, there's some things that stand out about how Paul prayed. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 14. He says here, for this reason. So, when we see that, we need to say, for what reason? We need to sort of look back. Well, everything discussed up to this point, uh, especially found in chapter 2, where Paul talks about uh, this new family, this new body of believers, uh, that the separation has been taken away between Jew and Gentile, and now there's one family, and, and grace, the grace of Christ, has brought peace into this family. For that reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So, first of all, there's a couple of things that stand out here. Uh, first of all, it says that Paul knelt. Paul knelt. You might say, well, I kneel when I pray sometimes. Right? That's nothing big for me. Well, for a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader, the posture for praying was standing with arms raised. Right? So, this is different than the norm. This wasn't the normal routine prayer. So, he didn't do the normal thing. And what does that tell us? This is a serious prayer. This prayer is serious. It wasn't the routine. It wasn't the before dinner or before bedtime 
type of prayer, this was a serious and very important prayer. The second thing that we notice is right off the bat, what does Paul do? He honors God, doesn't he? And uh, I can think of a guy that did this same thing, and, and his name's Jesus. Um, our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name. But before he got into the request and the positions, he, he honored God in his prayer. He says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family drives its name. You know, he knew that God was the source of it all. Not just everything in the beginning, but also God was the source of this new family, this new body of believers between Jews and Gentiles. God uh, it started with God. So Paul started off this prayer by honoring God. And there's so much that we can learn from that. So what does Paul pray for? We're going to look at a couple of things this morning. First of all, in verse 16, he says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I want you to take notice of that word power there. Uh, Paul is going to use that word several times throughout this prayer. And in the Greek language, that word for power is our word for dynamite. So it's not just a small power, right? It's an, it's an explosive type of power. And so Paul prays for power, that the, the Spirit would, would give Christians power, that it would strengthen their inner being, right? Not just physically, not just to strengthen them on the outside, but on the inside, why, why did Paul pray for that? Why did Paul pray for power to be uh, strengthened in the inner being? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now one thing to note with this is, Paul is writing to believers. Paul is writing to those who are already saved. Those who are already saved. In Christ, but the request is for Christ to dwell in the hearts of believers through faith. And that word dwell means what we think it means. It means to, to live and to reside in the hearts of the people. Paul prayed that, that on a personal level that the minds and the hearts of Christians would center around Jesus Christ. That, that the gospel wouldn't be just something to believe. Right, that, that it would be something to fall in love with. That the gospel would be something to cherish and embrace. He prayed that the power of the Spirit would strengthen them so that Christ would be ever-present in their hearts. And he continues on in his prayer in verse 17, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So you see there, power together. He mentions power again, but this time he uses the word together. You know, the first time it's more of an individual type request where the, the Christ, the power would strengthen us within our hearts, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. This time it's, it's power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now Paul talks about being rooted in love. And that's the foundation, isn't it? That's the starting point. This new family of 
Jews and Gentiles. It was born out of the love of God. This, the new you, the new family exists only because of God's love. The gospel is grounded and it flows from the love of God. And based on that love, Paul prayed this. He prayed that together with all believers, all Christians, that we would just be in awe of that love. Um, God's love for a lost world is amazing. When you look out and you see how bad our world is, and when you realize that God loves the world, that should amaze us. And sometimes you really don't realize how deep and how wide the love of God is until you see how he loves others. Until you see how God works in the lives of others. Paul says, I pray that you would continue to grasp, grasp that love. And he uses these word metaphors to try his best to explain how great God's love is. First, he mentions wide. And that makes us think of how big God's love is, how it covers the entire world. There's not a person that God does not love. God loves each and every person, no matter what. And then he says long, and that makes us think of God's everlasting love. You know, it doesn't deplete, it doesn't run out. When things and seasons in our lives are changing, God's love remains constant. And he mentions deep. You know, and that makes us think of the difficult times in our life, the times of despair, the times of sadness. Yeah, God's love is there as well. And then the high times, those are the times that are joyful in our life. The births of babies and grandbabies, the weddings, the graduations, the anniversaries, right? Those times, God is present no matter what we go through in this life, God's love is there. I know many of you have Romans 8.28 you know, as your, your verse, right? your top verse. And I would just challenge you to consider Romans 8.38 as a close second. I, I just want you to listen. It's not on the screen. Listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. And just in case he leaves anything out, he says, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Now listen to this, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul prayed that they would never forget how much God loved them. He prayed that together the church would never take their focus off of the love of God. He, he prayed that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, which sounds like it can't, cannot be achieved, right? Um, but what that means is it's not just in the head, but it's in the heart. Uh, God's love isn't just part of my mind, but it's part of my spirit. It's part of my, my soul, so why is Paul praying this? Why is Paul praying for the Spirit to give people power, explosive type power, to keep the love of Christ in their hearts and to know God on a deep level? Why is he praying that? Well, we find the purpose of this prayer in verse 19. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
So Paul's purpose for all this in his prayer is for them to be filled with God. Listen, not just saved. Not just a new you. Not just a new person. Not just a part of a new family of believers, but filled with him. You know, God doesn't just want us to know about him. God wants us to know him. He wants us to be filled with him. Why? What's the purpose of being filled with God? What's the purpose of the fullness of God? Now, Paul ends this prayer uh, this way, and we find the purpose of fullness. Verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we see the point of being filled with God is to glorify God, you see, to, to bring God glory. So there's a purpose to fullness, and that brings us to our second truth this morning. Fullness leads to usefulness. Okay, fullness leads to usefulness. When we are filled with God, not only are we blessed, right? We get that. When we are filled with God, wow, there's blessings upon my life. It's not only that, but we also become useful for God. God begins to work through us when we are filled with Him. Think about when we put gas in our cars. When we fill our tanks up, we can go a lot further, can't we? Uh, We can do a lot more things with a full tank of gas. we already learned earlier in Ephesians that we have the same power within us that raised Christ from the dead. And, and while I don't really know what that looks like exactly, it's pretty amazing when you read it. You take that power and you combine it with the power of being filled with God, God can do more through you. How much more? Immeasurably more, right? Right? Immeasurably more, more than what we can ask or imagine. I don't know. I can ask a lot. I can imagine a lot. But the Bible says that it's more than that with God's power. That's what Paul prayed for God's power to strengthen our love for him so that we could be filled with him so that, listen, so we can bring him glory. Right? What a great prayer. That's an amazing prayer. That's a marvelous prayer to me. Well, that leads us to consider what does it look like to be filled? Right? I sort of get the concept, but what does it look like to be filled? What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? And and a very good example that I want to share with you this morning is found in the Bible. And it's about a man named Stephen. And in Acts the early church began to experience tremendous growth, explosive, powerful growth. And the elders, uh, the, the apostles, the early church leaders told the church to pick some men from among them to help out. Not just any men, though, men who were loyal and faithful. And in Acts 6, 5, we read this. This proposal pleased the whole group. In other words, the church was on board with, with picking some men out to help. It says they chose Stephen, a man, notice this, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You know, Stephen was known for his faith. 
he had a good reputation and he was known for his love for Christ and for the gospel. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say perfect faith. It says full faith, uh, strong faith. Stephen had a good foundation for his faith and he was recognized. He was known by his faith. And what, what did that fullness of faith lead to for Stephen? Verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So faith leads to God's grace and power. And the power of God leads to what? Great things. Great works. Remember, with God's power, we can do immeasurably more than what we can ask or imagine. We can do immeasurably more than through our power alone. Stephen did amazing things through God's power. But listen, God's power isn't just needed to do great things. God's power is needed to help us face challenges and face difficulties that will, not might, that will come our way. As Stephen was doing great things for God, he ran into difficulty. Look with me at verse 9. It says, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Wow. So we see that when Stephen faced opposition, the Spirit, the power of God kicked in. It empowered Stephen to keep moving forward, to keep talking about Jesus, to keep proclaiming the gospel. Even though he met opposition, he kept speaking. He kept proclaiming. He allowed himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and therefore, therefore, he was used by God. After this, immediately after this, while this was happening, Stephen goes into preaching a really long sermon. And he goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He tells them how they had rejected God, how the nation of Israel had rejected God, how they had rejected the prophets that God had sent to them. And he eventually lands up talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and how they had rejected him, and even how they were responsible for the death of the Messiah. Well, they didn't take that too well. The next chapter, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, look at this, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of fierce opposition, what did Stephen do? He focused on God. He, he focused on the, the glory of God. You know, he, this tells us that even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of difficulty, a person filled with God focuses on the glory of God. And he needed to do this. He needed to focus on God because the opposition wouldn't go away. 
the opposition wouldn't get better. As a matter of fact, it would get much, much worse. Instead of verbally assaulting Stephen, they begin throwing rocks at him. They begin throwing stones at him. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Right? Because Stephen was filled with God, he was able to face this unimaginable situation with courage, with confidence. He completely placed his life in the hands of God. And while they were stoning Stephen, he was forgiving them. Who, who does that remind you of? As Jesus was being crucified, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, being filled with God allows us to be more like Christ. Focused on God's glory and forgiving to others. Now, I'm convinced that there's no way Stephen would have acted like this if he wasn't filled with God. So what's the point of this? You might be saying, if being filled with God means that I might die, I'm not too sure about that. I can say I understand, right? But, but let me say this. Being filled with God means you don't worry about dying. You focus on living. You don't, you don't worry about death. You focus on life. You focus on what's your life means to God and our lives are to bring God's glory our lives are to be useful for God you see we have to tell our, this our, uh, to ourselves over and over again God has a greater plan doesn't he God has a great plan it's, it's beyond anything that we understand it's beyond anything that we can comprehend it's, it's beyond anything that we can really come to grips with when we are filled with God, what takes place is we become useful for God as he's carrying out these plans. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. Yeah, Saul is, is Paul. Um, the guy who, who wrote Ephesians, the series that we're in. The guy who wrote the prayer that we just looked at. Uh, Paul was, was there as Stephen was being stoned. And, and he participated in this brutal act. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So, Stephen was killed. And on the very same day of Stephen's death, they started persecuting all Christians, all believers, to the, to the point where they had to flee. They had to leave. And what did this look like? This looked like Christianity was over. 
that explosive growth that had taken place, the very need for Stephen to come in and fill a leadership role, all that looked like it had stopped, like it was over. The momentum was, was definitely affected, right? That's what it looked like. But, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Preach the word wherever they went. God had a bigger plan, didn't he? I wonder. I wonder what our lives would look like without Stephen. What happened to Stephen, as tragic as it is, as hard as that is for us to read through that, consider what happened, it had a major impact on the spreading of the gospel, right? And it also had an impact on a man named Paul who would pick up where Stephen left off, and he would boldly and courageously take the gospel of Jesus Christ to parts it had never been before. Seeing the way Stephen lived in these last few moments of his life had a major impact on Paul. And you know what? Paul acted the same way when he became a believer. He lived the exact same way with boldness and with courage, filled with God, filled with the Spirit. What does this tell us? People are watching how we live. People are watching how we act. People are watching how we react to things. Especially when things are difficult for us. People are watching. Right? Through Stephen, God was able to do great things. And it's because Stephen was full. He was filled with God and therefore... He was useful for God. So let's finish up by looking at how we can relate this to our life. And we're just going to rehash three things that we've sort of already discussed this morning. First of all, filled with the fullness of God means I am, and you can write these down if you want. Filled with the fullness of God means I am grounded in the love of Christ. I'm grounded in the love of Christ. Grounded or rooted, based on your translation, those are agricultural terms. Those are farming terms. It means the roots of Christ's love are deep in our hearts. It's not just a love that's in the mind, but it's a love that's in our hearts. It dwells there, remember. And what happens is, when the love of Christ dwells in the heart of the believer... That love overflows. It spills out into how we live. Paul mentions this phrase, in Christ, over and over again in Ephesians. Dozens of times, actually. And it's a very important phrase. To be full, listen, we have to realize that not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us as well. And and that love for Christ that we have isn't just something that saves us, folks. It's something that compels us. It's something that drives us. So filled with the fullness of God means I'm grounded in that love of Christ. Next, filled with the fullness of God means I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, Since, you know, we're in sort of baseball season mode, I figured I'd share a little illustration with you. Back in the 70s, in the major leagues, they instituted a rule, uh, a new rule. It's called the designated hitter rule. 
And what the designated hitter rule allowed for was for a batter, a person to come in and bat for the pitcher. And this person would be really good, a really good batter, a really good hitter. And this was pushed by a, a league owner, a team owner, who was tired of seeing boring games. He was tired of seeing low-scoring games, and he was tired of seeing decreased ticket sales, right? So he pushed for this designated hitter rule. It was, re- it was a really, really bad uh, situation. It was um, the league average in 1968 was 268. Uh, there was only one person in the entire league that had a 300 batting average. Only one. Well, the idea was to bring more power to the plate, more offense. And what that rule did was it revolutionized the game. As a matter of fact, now if a pitcher throws a no-hitter or a, a one-hitter or a shutout, it is a, it is a really big deal, right? More power at the plate. More offense. What does being empowered by the Spirit look like? It's saying, God, will you hit for me today? God, will you, will you be my designated hitter? It's, it's trusting in God with your life and giving your life to Him. And it's allowing Him, allowing Him to work through you. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you relying on your power or do you depend on God's power? Right. This is difficult for us because why? We want to be in control. We want to be the one in the box. Being empowered by the Spirit doesn't mean we give up completely, but what it does mean is that we yield. We yield control. It's saying, God, I know that you can do so much more than what I can do by myself. I I know when you bat, God, there's more power at the plate. Swing away, God. I'm entrusting my life to you, right? So we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we are focused on the glory of God. Filled with fullness of God means I am focused on the glory of God. When we are filled with God, we will focus on the glory of God. Here's a question that we need to ask ourselves, and I'm finding that I need to ask myself this frequently. Is my life focused on my own interests or on God's glory? Is my life focused on my interests or God's glory? Glory. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't care about our lives. That doesn't mean that we don't have interest and concerns and things like that. But what it does mean is that above everything else, we are mostly concerned with God's glory. That is the most important thing. It's saying this, I want to hit the home run. But more than anything, God, I want to bring you glory, right? I want you to have glory in everything that I do. As we close, the third truth for today, the final truth, is this. It's a combination of the first two, okay? The new you is more than the old you because the new you is useful for God. The new you is useful for God. The new you is more, so much more, 
than you were before. Remember, through God's power at work in us, God is able to do what? Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If we fill ourselves with God, He will do great things through us, and He will be with us no matter what we encounter in this life. He'll be there hitting in our place, fighting our battles for us, and even in the midst of the craziest opposition, the most difficult opposition in our lives, God will be there for us. Now, since our focus today was on Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, I would like to challenge us with a daily prayer, okay? It's on the screen. Um, write it down before you leave today. It's simply this. God, today, help me to be grounded in the love of Christ and empowered by your Spirit so I can be filled with you and live this day for your glory. I just imagine what our lives would look like if we got up each morning and we, we prayed that prayer. Asking God to fill us with him so that we can be useful and bring glory to his name, right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we thank you for our time together this morning. Father, we love you. We worship you. And we want you in our lives. And we want to be filled with you. Father, thank you for these truths that you've revealed to us this morning. Help us to apply these principles to our lives. Help us to grow not only in our knowledge of you, but in our love for you. God, today, help us to be grounded in that love of Christ. God, today, help us to be empowered by your spirit. Help us to be filled with you so we can live this day and every day for your glory. In the mighty and wonderful and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.